Welcome to Inside the OC, a podcast about the world's largest participatory sporting event, the United States Bowling Congress Open Championships. Join Matt Cannizzaro and Aaron Smith as they talk to some of the greatest names in the history of the tournament. The Eagles are ready. Let's take flight. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Bowl TV. My name is Matt Cannizzaro, and you have tuned in for another episode of the Inside the OC podcast. Looking forward to today's guest, Jay Nephew, will be joining us. Uh, we'll talk about all the amazing things he's done, both on the lanes and within the industry. Uh, and my co-host for today's show, once again, Aaron Smith, welcome back. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Looking forward to this one. Jay is a riot and uh, hoping to keep things PG at least. Uh, he's a lot of fun and uh, it's going to be an interesting balance for me as well. If I've traveled with Jay, bowled with Jay on the teams uh, and uh, of course, uh, in a more professional role, he was on the USBC board at one point uh, and a top competitor. So uh, also works in the industry now too. Uh, so to be able to balance that and and, and be mature and growing up and, uh, and not say too much, that's where you have to keep me in line today. I, I will do my best with that, but uh, you know, prior to the show, Matt, you always put together uh, notes for our guests. And uh, yeah, it was definitely great to read and learn a little bit more about Jay just in that and some of his success on the lanes and, of course, all he contributes off the lanes as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited for this conversation, excited to see where it goes. And uh, I think we're ready. Can we handle them? Well, I don't know if we can handle them, but I think we are definitely ready to, to learn more, uh, which is something that we, we enjoy getting the chance to do, talking about more than just bowling. Uh, hopefully for the next hour or 90 minutes or two hours or until Wheel of Fortune comes on, whatever comes first. Uh, looking forward to it. Let's bring him in. JNF, you welcome to Inside the OC. Woo-hoo! Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. That was by far the most energetic welcome we've had so far, so we appreciate that. Well, if that's the bar, <laughs> God bless y'all. And um, no, but thanks for having me. Uh, Wheel of Fortune doesn't come on here for another six hours, so you're safe. Five and a half Plenty hours. of time. Plenty of time. Story Plenty time. Plenty of time. All kinds of good stuff happening. Uh, now, Jay, you're coming to us from the Houston area. And, yes. Uh, we Sunny are, 76 today. Beautiful, beautiful day. We're not too far away. Four or five hours here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Dallas. Um, and yeah. you originally uh, hail from upstate New York, so totally different world. Uh, and looking and forward to hearing. You said it right, upstate New York. Upstate, right, or right, not, not central. Correct. Not Poughkeepsie. We we do our homework. There you go. Um, but uh, I I liked hearing more yesterday about your story and just wondering how does Jay nephew get from being a top competitor uh, with some great players in upstate New York to first Dallas and then Houston. Uh, and it turned out, Aaron Smith, and you're going to enjoy this, uh, we have another bowling love story that we get to tell today. Uh, so many of us uh, have made our friendships and relationships because of this great sport. Uh, mm -hmm. Jay Nephew is no different, so looking forward to hearing that. But Jay, uh, right now you are working from home, and mm -hmm. uh, you have already, prior to COVID-19 and this amazing 2020 we've had. Uh, but tell us about that, where you work, what you do, uh, and and really what's changed for you, uh, being that uh, – you're stuck at home while working at home already. 
Sure. Well, you know, working from home is not as glamorous as everybody thinks it is. And they all found out in the last eight, 10 months. Right. Um, but I've been doing it for three and a half years now working with Cubica AMF. I'm very fortunate, almost four years now. I'm very fortunate to be employed by Cubica. They're one of the they're one of the pioneer companies in the bowling industry. You know, they're not afraid to do research and development and we're developing new products for the industry, um, which is really nice because, as you all know, our industry needs to continue to evolve and grow. And it's not going to do it by only the sport, right? If it were left to only the sports side of the industry, we might have been dead already. So um, we honor the sport. We want the sport to continue to stay at least where it is, if not continue to grow. But you can't do that without new players. And new players don't start out in the sport. They start out recreationally. They start out, you know, it's something that's interesting to them and they, they become hooked on bowling that way. So um, whenever we can develop new products, <laughs> Brian Middleton, thanks. I'm watching the comments now. I can see it coming in. Uh, whenever we can develop new products, I think it's always great for the industry, no matter what company does it. I mean, there's other companies that are developing new products too, which, you know, Kegel is one of them and I love them too. So, um, what I do for Cubic AMF uh, business uh, development, um, strategic services is the department I work in, but I work hand in hand with customers. And I also uh, kind of work on the side of the industry or the side of the business that's not sales related at all. We kind of support our products. So uh, one of the things we say is we bring our products to life for our customers. And uh, not, I don't think either one of you have ever owned a bowling center before and purchased, you know, capital equipment, but it's a daunting process. And sometimes, you know, you have newer owners or even owners who uh, were upgrading from a, an archaic system to a new system um, and they, they're overwhelmed. So they sometimes need help with what do I do with these bells and whistles, as people call them? How do I use these for, for the benefit of my business? And, you know, that's where I come in and, and I kind of help them with that. Um, but I really love, love, love working back in the industry. I've kind of really never left the industry, but it hadn't always been my focus. So, you know, I was a, a, a office manager for a pediatric a neurosurgeon. I worked for a pediatric surgeon way back in the day. I taught at RIT. I've done a lot of crazy things. Marketing has always been a passion of mine. So I kind of left the bowling industry to do marketing in the real world, I should say, sporting industry still in some cases. And then I found myself at a nonprofit organization doing marketing, which Strangely enough, you could pick up all of the conversations in that business, which is oil and gas related, and replace them with bowling conversations, and it would be the exact same membership problems. And so it's humorous to me to see the you know the correlation there. Uh, Jay, you have a, a very well-rounded viewpoint when it comes to our sport. You just mentioned all the things you do professionally uh, to help bring the sport into the future, but uh, you've been a, a long-time standout competitor, uh, and uh, you served on the USBC board for a few years about a decade ago almost now. Uh, yeah. So you kind of gotten to see it from, from all perspectives. And certainly you're not one who's shy about sharing your thoughts and, and uh, just trying to, again, help the sport move forward entirely. Uh, but again, you know, we started with talking about where you are, what you do, uh, and now how you got there, because this was, this was pretty neat. Your job in bowling years ago uh, brought you to South Africa and, very cool stuff. Take it from there. So uh, it was actually after I won the high roller uh, A-game tournament uh, in January of 2005, maybe. I don't remember when it was. It was a while ago. Five. I think it was five. Um, maybe it was six. It had to be six. I think it was six. Anyway, so Guy Kaminsky, you probably all know Guy Kaminsky, um, fantastic bowler, world champion, um, 
lives in South Africa, runs a chain of bowling centers there called the Fun uh, the Fun Company now. Was called Super Bowling back in the day. I'm sure the Super Bowl probably tried to sue him and make him change his name. But um, <laughs> So he was building a brand new center in, in uh, Johannesburg and asked me to come and be um, – be uh, a part of that process with him. And he wanted more of an Americanized uh, environment for his center. And so I had just won the tournament. I didn't really have a, a good job at all. I was running a, an IHOP, which God bless anybody who runs an IHOP. <laughs> um, and that was like, I have so many bad stories about that. I mean, but their, their bacon is unbeatable. I'm gonna say that. I probably did gain like 50 pounds from the bacon. Um, so he said to me, will you come to South Africa? And I was like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. Bye. And we were in Vegas still, you know, the rest of the tournament had to go on. And I said, and he was like, no, I'm serious. I really want you to consider it. And I was like, oh, I'll consider it. And so I went back to Buffalo. I was living in Buffalo at the time. And Dan Patterson was like, what the F, dude? What are you doing here? You don't have a real good job. Just get that. Just go. You don't know what you're going to miss. And I was like, uh, it does make kind of sense. And I said, well, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so I went to South Africa. I worked with him for three months. You can only stay 90 days when you don't have a visa for work. I was vacationing. And um, then uh, I had to leave and come back. So on my return trip, uh, I came home for about a month and I went back in October, October 19th to be exact. Uh, there was this, uh, I didn't know that the World Cup for rugby was going on that day. So I land, guy's not there, guy's bowling in Russia, the World Cup. He has one of his friends, Jason Bazunheit, pick me up and bring me back to the house. I, I've been there for three months, so I know everything. He's like, guy's car's there, you're good, you know how to get to the ball. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. So, you know, I'm on a weird time schedule so it's like 10 o'clock at night and i'm like wide awake so i go over to the bowling center and i see everybody that i haven't seen in several months and um hey scott hey jennifer um i see them and they're like oh my god because they didn't know i was coming and so then i said to them and the place was packed like it was busy the bar is packed and i'm like wow you guys are doing awesome they're like oh, it's world cup rugby night i said oh okay well i'm gonna leave you guys i'm gonna go to a bar well, they warned me and I didn't listen. And I was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional, I've been here before. So I get in Guy's car. Now remember in South Africa, they drive on the other side of the road. The steering wheel's on the other side of the car and he had a standard. So now I have to shift with my left hand. Now I hadn't done it in a month, but I had driven a little bit when I was there before. But I'm like, ah, this is easy. So I start going, I'm on the M1, I'm heading, I'm looking for this road called Hans Strydon Boulevard. Cause I remember there's this gay bar. There's like three gay bars in all of Africa. And there's one there and I'm like, I'm gonna go there. It was a fun time last time. I at least could chat with people, have a couple cocktails, play some pool, whatever. You know, it was just a, a little bar place. And so <laughs> I'm driving and I'm driving. And I remember that guy had told me way back when we first started that you never go to Soweto. You, you're a white boy. You don't go to Soweto, especially at night, especially alone. And I was like, oh, OK, I'll never do that. Well, I'm driving and I'm driving an awful long time and I don't see Hans Strydon Boulevard. So I pull over and I turn around. I go back. I, go, I must have missed it. I come back down the highway and pretty soon I'm back where I started. And I'm like, okay, I must've missed it again. So I turn around and on this time up in my rear view mirror, I see a sign that says Hans Stryden Boulevard, so many kilometers, but from the other way. And so I'm like, well, I must've gone past it, but I haven't seen it yet. I go, I don't know. So I kept driving. And next thing you know, the next exit was Soweto and I'm freaking out. And uh, by now I have to go like, 
I can't stop at any lights. I have to just get back on the highway and pray that no one's there to, to you know, kill me or hold me up and take the car, whatever. So I go back and I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to get off at this exit here because I, I've been up and down here three times. I'm done. And I got off at this thing called Millie Bongway was the name of the road. And I it looked familiar to me, but it, you know, and sure enough, the bar is right there. And I go, oh my God, I found it. So I go in and I'm like, by now though, the World Cup has ended and South Africa won. And the highway is full of cars. And it's like the Super Bowl in the city of the winning Super Bowl, but it's the whole country. And like there's cars on fire. There's people with 14 people on the hood driving 60 miles. It's just, it's crazy. So I'm like, oh my God, that's why I said I'm just getting off here because I, 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 I don't know what to do. I can't keep going on this road. So I go in the bar, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, some guy comes in the bar and I remember seeing him from across the way and I was like, oh, he's really, you know, cute. And so we start talking to each other. Fast forward 14 years later, we he's my husband and we live here and, you know, life is grand. So Matthew Lindner uh, is is the person who changed my life for the better. And it's all because of Guy Kaminsky. Oh, yeah, there's there's my, we call him Poopsie. Everybody who knows Matthew knows him as Poopsie. So you're free to call him Poopsie too. Um, it's a little bit odd. Uh, I'll tell you the story of how it came about. Hey, Mike Nelly, how are you doing? Um, so when we first met, we were just talking and I, I don't know when you, you know, you develop a, a, a liking for someone and you don't know when that turns to love. Like you're not really sure, but you just know it's different. And I remember that I called him, we were, we were talking about our families and it was very interesting to see, you know, we had so many similarities. He's the youngest, I'm the youngest. He has an older sister and an older brother, you know, similarly. And, um, his mom had passed uh, away at a, a young age and my mom uh, was still alive, but my dad passed away at a young age and his father was still there. So it was, we had these commonalities, but I remember I called him Pooh one day, like the bear, cause he just kind of reminded me of that for a moment. And um, he just stopped and froze and he said, no one's called me that except my mother and she's been dead for 10 years. And I was like, uh, whoa, this just was a weird connection to me. Well, Pooh turned into Poops and Poopsie and now it's just poops or poopsie. So every one of my friends is like, what's poopsie doing? Is he going to be okay? You know what? You're in a store <laughs> when you're, I'm like, poops, poops. <laughs> I'm trying to find him. People are like, are you saying poop? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I just blurred. I'm like, poop. <laughs> so that's the story of how I met Matthew. He's put up with me for 13, almost 14 years. Well, we're in, we're in year 14 now. We haven't completed it, so. I, I don't know how many times me and Aaron have had the same conversation across the aisles at stores as well, but uh, for, for different reasons, different connotations, but uh, story for another day. Uh, but uh, so that brings us back to 2020. Now you're in Houston uh, with Poopsie. You guys are, are, are doing the thing. And then all of a sudden uh, more quality time comes along, right? Here you are quarantined. You're at home. Obviously, you know, you guys like each other quite a bit. You, you've been together uh, for 14 years. so Yeah, we have uh, to. But I mean, it's a it, it's a mandate now. It, it seems like 2020, even for people who have been together a long time and have been, lived in the same place, and it it's just it was different. It just changed things. And for you, um, you know, from your work stuff, it didn't change. Maybe overall, tell us uh, about how 2020 was for the relationship. And then uh, you were able to – you're the entertainer. We know that. Um, you're always putting on a show for us very – uh, I don't even know, but, uh, so during this whole thing, you're, you're on there on Facebook live, you're doing your thing. You got home improvements going on. You got Jay nephew's cooking show. Uh, we're learning about lemon tarts and cr crepes and whatever else you're doing. And then 
All of a sudden, here's Jay Nephew live watching Wheel of Fortune, entertaining us every <laughs> single night. That's where that reference came on at the beginning of the show. Uh, you certainly made the most of 2020 and being at home. And, uh, you know, sometimes Matthew was there as well, just kind of just shaking his head at you, of course, or, or participating. Uh, but uh, t- tell us about all of those things and, and, and what you've done this year and, and how it's been different or better or the same or worse, or just tell us. Look, I'm I'm a I'm really an eternal optimist. I know some people will laugh at that. Um, I will say hi to Bill Stoddard, the liquor thief. He is watching us from Rochester, um, and I did have to give him a shout out. Don't invite Bill into your house. He will steal vodka out of your freezer and not tell you. Um, so I just had to get that out of the way. Um, 2020. I think it's been one of the best years for me ever. You know. It didn't start, <laughs> Johnny Hanna, I got to stop watching the comments for a little bit, but 2020 didn't start out good for, well, it started out good and it didn't start out good for me, let's be honest. I, I went through some really uh, personal things very early on in the year, right after I was on the Bolero show, right about that time, and I'm, we can talk about that another time, but I overcame some obstacles or I've been trying to overcome some obstacles of my own and try to grow personally. I really, really am an optimist and at heart, um, but my, my strategic mind always plays the pessimist because there's value in that, right? When you're trying to decide what the best move forward is. I want us to be successful, but I'm going to poke holes in every single thing you tell me because if I can't poke holes in it, then I'm probably going to say, yeah, that's the right way to go, right? Or when I do poke a hole, how do we fill that? Or what do we do if that happens along the way? Sometimes that's translated as, well, you're so negative, you're not a part of this. But in reality, I'm trying to make it the best I can. I didn't know a lot of this about myself until I you know, did some personality discovery and things like that. Um, so 2020 hadn't been good for the start, but I was bowling fantastic, great, believe it or not. Like I had won these back-to-back sweepers here and there, and I was, I was just bowling well. Um, coming off of the open championships from the year before I, my bowling was doing well. And for me, I think it was because mostly I'm getting older and I'm actually throwing it a little bit slower than I used to. So my rev rate and my speed are matching up more than they ever did before. So I'm able to read the lane a little better, but with the pandemic hitting, like you just go crazy in your home. Like you're here, like we couldn't leave. And you know, I don't know, it was hot mess. Well, one day it was, you know, Wheel of Fortune time, and I'm watching Wheel of Fortune. And um, I had gone live on Facebook a couple of times because people say when I love to cook, I, I love to cook anything. And whenever we have people over, I bring food, people are like, Oh, my God, this is so good. You, I need your recipe. And I'm like, I, I don't think you understand. I really don't have a recipe. I mean, I'll look at a recipe and I'll kind of follow it, but I just do what I do. So I can't always repeat it. Um, but they were asking, how do you make certain things? So I said, oh, I think I'm just going to go live and show them how to make a couple things and how I do it. Eh, what did I know? I didn't know it'd get like 400 views and people would comment and they would say, you should do it again. You should do it again. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. But um, we're watching The Wheel of Fortune and this lady, or this kid on there, I remember this, I don't remember his name, but he was, uh, I don't know how he made the show. Like he's just not smart. I think it was one of those college shows. You know, they just got to take three people that look cute with a te- with a sweatshirt on, with a college on it, and they're that they get on the show. And so, um, and then you got to expect it's college kids. So, college a college educated person today, or an average person in college today versus an average person from twenty years ago in college, 
No chance. No chance. These people are dumb as a stump today. They're all born with this in their hand. They don't know a life without, let me just Google this. They don't know how to learn things, but they learn differently and they learn, you know, so they're just different people. So anyway, when it comes to traditionalism with words and phrases and things like that, it's no wonder these 20 year old, 17 year old kids don't know, you know, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Like that's a phrase and you don't know what it is. You're trying to call out a letter J because you think it fits in that word. It doesn't fit. There's no such word like that. So this kid, there was one letter left in the puzzle and he spins the friggin' wheel and he lands on like the big dollar. I think it was the 3,500 at the time. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to win it. And he calls like the stupidest letter. And I was like, how do you not know what that word is? It's part of the saying. Like it's not, it's not even close. So I rewound it and I turned the camera on and I said, I'm going to blast this person. And I finished watching the show and I didn't know certain people were calling in and, you know, watching their comments with me and I'm laughing. I might've been a little intoxicated. I possibly could have been. Um, so it was fun. And, and then after I was done, people said, Oh my God, you should do that again tomorrow. And I was like, tomorrow. And I was like, all right, well, I was bored. And so tomorrow came. And so I said, let's do it again. And tomorrow turned into like 14, 23 days in a row. But then we ran out of shows because they were all reruns. So I had to stop because I'm, you know, that's the sad part about the rerun thing for, for Wheel of Fortune is that when we get to the bonus round, it's a show that's aired before and I've probably seen it. And I make the exact same mistake the second time. So I'm shouting out the wrong answer again. And Matthew goes, that was on already. That's not the answer. And I was like, oh, it was? <laughs> so I'm not as smart as I think I am. Now, Jay, we- I love doing that. As we were talking before the show, you mentioned uh, that you've tried to make Wheel of Fortune before. Your goal is to be on there at some point, correct? I've never auditioned, but I want to. We need to get you on there. R-S-T-L-N-E, let's make this happen right now. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Pat Sajak, he's iconic. Gonna, he's going to die soon, right? How how does he not age, though? How does that oh, happen? Well, okay, first of all, let's talk about Pat. <laughs> um, Pat's like one of the old Rat Pack type guys. He's very um, well-liked, but he has a very big disdain for gay guys and for uh, men in general. So you'll see that when a, a guy is on the show, when there's two women and the guy is just snowballing them. He's just just plowing them over and winning. And the guy lands on a letter and Pat goes, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, yeah. He's like not happy that the guy is going to get this puzzle again. And I, it's just funny to watch now. But any, you know, good looking lady, he's like, ooh, and he fawns all over them and stuff. So he's, he's a throwback to the old age. So it's kind of fun to watch. It's predictable. But Pat's like, I mean, I hate to say this. I mean... Do you think Betty White's going to go before him? I think he's just going to wake up. One, I think his liver is probably pickled by now, for sure. No? That, uh, after that kind of run, you know. I uh, read a thing about him going out and getting drunk in between the episodes that they were shooting. And he came back and was a little schnockered. What a windy road we are on today already. Oh, sorry. We're only 20 minutes in. Holy cow. Jay <laughs> Nebby taking the, the long way. Wheel of Fortune, I will start doing Wheel of Fortune broadcasts again. I even did my own game show broadcast for two episodes. It was called Game On, G-A-Y-M-E, On. And you can find it on Facebook. You can find the two episodes. They were fun to do. They were a pain in the butt to design because I didn't know making a game show was so freaking hard. Um, 
but I really enjoyed that. And I, I secretly want to be a game show host. So. so as we get you ready for your appearance on Wheel of Fortune or perhaps for taking over the show from Pat, probably yeah. on a different channel, one that folks have to pay for, um, you have been practicing your hosting skills. You, you have been part of a podcast during this quarantine, this pandemic as well, just as we have. Uh, tell us about that because that uh, that one actually forces you to be a little bit better behaved as well. So you get to, you get to find that balance. So during the day, you've got the podcast, and then at night, it's – it's uh, yeah. doors off, yeah. you know, everything happening on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, there's professional Jay, and then there's um, people who really know me, and sometimes I let it loose on my personal channel. So I'm very aware of this, um, but uh, I try my best. And, and, you know, the end of the day, I got to be me, right? When it's my time to be me, I'm just going to be me. And if I offend someone, I will apologize. It's not, I'm not ever, I don't think I'm malicious in what I say. Even when I talk about Pat being a drunk, it's probably true. We'll just call that a a wash. But um, during the daytime, so when, when COVID hit, uh, we're a support arm of the company. So we, you know, we had a very interesting conversation of, you know, what are we going to do uh, right now? I don't have customers to go help make money. They're all shut down. And, you know, as a group, our groups, look, what we really need to do is we really need to provide support of any type for all bowling centers so that they can maintain their level of revenue as best they can stay open and, and be customers for the bowling industry for the future. Whether they're our customers, Brunswick's customers, U.S. bowling, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are. So we, and that was the Number one focus. So we, I created, we created our group, created a group called Beyond the Frame. Um, it's a special Facebook group that you can apply to be a member of. It's meant for bowling industry uh, owner operators and you know employees, key staff. But it also works for any entertainment industry because what we talk about, while well, while we talk about specific bowling things often, but we we often also talk about just entertainment venues in general. Um, so we provided, uh, we've done like forty seven episodes of our uh, Beyond the Frame show. Uh, we branched out. And we're doing Seeds of Success as like a little five to ten minute burst for somebody to go. Oh, let me see what they have to say. Like learning about, reminding people about. Um, body language, reminding people how to use their database more effectively, you know, all these different things that we, we come up with. Um, yeah. So there's the, uh, there's the beyond the frame group and um, we interview guests on there. So that does force me to put my work hat on and be J nephew, cubic AMF J nephew. But, you know, I'm very fortunate that I'm still allowed to, to be who I am on that show. I'm, I'm, I'm respectful of, of everybody. Um, I can still put my own flavor to it. I just, I just need to. Uh, I, I want to make sure that it's not interpreted as Cubica thinks this way. You know, I've disagreed with some things before, and I said my personal opinion is this. You know, I feel like that this could be the way the industry heads, or this could be the way this problem is solved. I don't. It's not the popular opinion, but, but I, it, it did focus me, and it did allow me to learn some new skills. Right. I've always loved to be on a microphone with someone interviewing. Conversation is like a thing I just like to do. I like to get to know people. I like to pull stuff out of them. And in return, it's kind of like entertainment for me, too. Right. So. Well, we appreciate uh, all the entertainment so far in today's show. Now we're going to talk about Jay Nephew, the bowler. Uh, and oh. right before oh. the quarantine and the shutdown, uh, you found your way uh, into a pretty special event. Uh, the Bolero Elite Series, uh, it brought in uh, some of the top professionals in today's game uh, and then eight uh, league bowlers as they were portrayed 
but uh, as you educated me yesterday, uh, it wasn't based on scores per se. Uh, it was a, a little bit different process to, to become a part of that. Uh, tell us about that and the opportunity and really life-changing money. Uh, the first winner, Lewis, $270,000 each time after. Uh, but uh, he was just a regular guy. He got that life-changing money to change things uh, and really get the the attention on this series. Uh, but tell us about your experience with it. So uh, I was, uh, when I watched the, the first Elite Series, I said to myself, holy, holy. I said, 270,000. I could beat that guy. I'm, I could do, I could win that. And I went and uh, read about it and it said, you have to bowl at a uh, Bolero center, an AMF center, or, you know, at the time it was um, Bullmore. So, um, you know, in Houston, we have several, but they're not close to me. None of them were close to me. So I, um, I uh, was encouraged by the late Jim Welch. He said, you need to go and start a league or bowl in a league at one of these centers because we're going to open up auditions soon for the next show. And I said, oh, there's going to be, you know, three shows. They had three shows planned. And the second show actually was planned for September. Well, the only way you could get enough games in to be eligible was to bowl a summer league. But by the time I learned of this, I could not bowl a summer league. At the time, I was traveling too much for work, going to customers. So the summer league that was at the uh, Bolero Center that I could have bowled was Alpha, AMF Alpha. And I would have missed more than half of the weeks, and I wouldn't have had 21 games. It just wouldn't have worked. So I decided that we would start a brand new fall league, and we chose Bolero Woodlands for that because they came and said, look, we, we haven't had league here in this facility in like eight years. We would love to bring league back. Can you help us? And I said, yeah, we might be able to get 10, 12 teams together. So let's let's go for it. Well, I didn't realize that 12 teams turned into 30 teams and I had to stop it at 30 because we couldn't, I didn't want to do more than 30 teams. We had 32 in the long run. So we did the 32 team league um, and then I was eligible to apply. And I read the rules about the application process and what they were looking for. And Matt, you hit it right on the nose. A lot of people said, well, oh, if you read some of the comments and some of the things online. Of course, you can post whatever you want because you're behind the computer and I get it. But people were saying, well, I applied six times and I did this and I have 49, 300 games and I won this. And I'm like, well, you also didn't read anything because if you read the freaking rules, you would see what they're looking for. Contestants will be judged on their application video. That's what it says. The points will be given for creativity and entertainment like that's what they were looking for they wanted somebody who was dynamic personality and i said whoa hold on let me give them something and so i decided at the time the lizzo song truth hurts was really huge and of course you know i was in my head singing it all the time and i go i can change those words because the chorus just came to me you can text me or tell it straight to my face and i was like oh wait a minute I can win that, but I need a big break. You can text me or tell it straight to my face. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to write these words. So I changed the words to the song. And the opening line was, I just watched the PBA at best turn it out. I'm 100% confident that I would do amazing. Yeah, I got bowling problems. It's not new to me. String, string, when I'm striking, that's a talent in me. You could have cast a bad bitch for this battle, help you with your ratings just a little. So I sang this whole version of Truth Hurts with the, the hook of, I can win that, but I need a big break. And um, I submitted it and I just was like, well, we'll see what happens. 
And, you know, they said, like, we'll be calling, we'll make a decision by a certain date. And in the back of my mind, um, you know, you can't put too much thought into it because it just doesn't happen if you think about it too much. But in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, shit, that date's coming up soon. And it said they're going to do here. And I haven't heard anything. I'm probably not going to get chosen. And then like a week later, I got a, an email from uh, Jill, uh, who's the PR director. And she said, we'd love to talk to you about your application. I was like, okay. And sure enough, they chose me. And I was so beyond excited. Um, but uh, it, it also brought some challenges along the way because the date the show was supposed to be filmed in Florida, they, were, they said it's a Saturday and a Sunday. But that Sunday morning, we were already booked to get on a cruise to go from Galveston to uh, the Bahamas for a week. So I was like, uh, do I give up the cruise for a shot at 100 grand? Of course I do, and um, but then I also said, but I can't get them, you know, anything back from the cruise. And we had a couple. Our one of my friends, Justin Wren, who runs the New York Olymp the Texas Eliminator with me. Wow, that was a slip. Um, was on the cruise uh, with us. Him and his partner, Austin, was me, and so it was the four of us that were going to go together. And you know, it's nice when you cruise with at least a couple other people because then you can eat dinner together and you can go on like excursions together and you can have your private time. But you have people you know on the ship. So I said, and they were pissed because they were going to go on the cruise no matter what. And they're like, you can't leave us by ourselves. And I said, well, I'll ask if I don't make the TV show portion of it, can I go and be on the thing? And they allowed me to do that. So that was very kind of them. That's why you didn't see me on the actual TV show in the audience. But somebody was holding my big head up, apparently. And I was like, well, where the hell did that go? That big head disappeared. Somebody has that in their basement and they're like doing voodoo shit to it. <laughs> So normally, I always ask Aaron after the show, what do you, you know, what do you think was the the best part? What's our highlight, our clip? And uh, I think the the song and dance certainly uh, is a, <laughs> you, didn't a qualifier. you didn't get the full so, version. Uh, yeah, the I think we might see that so far. This is this is our best show yet. It might uh -oh. be uh, that might be our clip. Watching though. live, can we, can you tell me, Scott Winsky, how's it going, Scott? There's a, a very active chat. You're a popular guy. We knew that coming in. Uh, we're glad to have you and, and all of your, your supporters and all of our OC supporters. Um, and now you didn't win the hundred grand, but you had a great experience. You learned a lot about yourself. You said uh, from that experience, uh, you still made it on the cruise. So uh, a win-win. Uh, considering that's where the picture came from that you took, that you showed. That was the cruise. So considering what happened in the months that followed, of course, uh, it's been wacky. Uh, but uh, your bowling career now, now that you've reached the 50 mark, and I don't know if the folks out there knew that, but uh, Jay is uh, is in his mid-50s almost now. Not mid. I'm 54. <laughs> don't be pushing that bitch. No. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but it's kind of a, a, new, a new career for you, this second half, kind of the opportunity to see some of the senior events. And, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned some success at some high roller events. Uh, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, but now that you've reached this new plateau, um, you know, we, we asked, why did you not chase the PBA dream? As, as good as you are, some of the success you had, uh, it's a path that you chose not to take earlier in your life. Uh, but now things are different. Support system is different. Uh, opportunities are different. Uh, you have now since become a PBA member, since becoming 50 years old. So uh, some success there. Uh, tell us just about, that journey because uh, easily you, you could have been out there chasing that dream, but uh, you, you chose a different way. 
but now is the right time, and, and you've got your name on a banner at uh, when you go to bowl. So it's uh, it's yeah. pretty sweet after all that time. Special, it is special. You're right. You know, for years, uh, a lot of people, especially um, people uh, my genre, my age level, uh, that were big in the into the mega bucks of the late '80s and, and, and '90s. Um, we had to make a choice early on. You either are a PBA member or you are not, because if you are a PBA member, you cannot bowl any of these big buck tournaments. They were they were banning any PBA members all the time. I understood why they did that. They didn't want uh, a Walter Ray to come in and win their tournament, and then they have no entries because the average guy thinks, oh, I can't beat Walter Ray. But Brad Edelman and his father, well, his father's the one that said this. Anybody can beat anybody in a one-game match. So their whole entire premise was, you give us $1,100, you come to Vegas, you bowl one game against somebody, and if you win, you move on. If you win the second one, you're going to get your money back. And if you keep winning, you're going to get more money. And I was like, whoa, hell to the yes. I can beat anybody one game, and it's true. I believed I could win. I believed I could beat anybody one game at a time. Um, I don't know if I ever believed I could win the whole thing, because I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind. But, you know... When you're chasing 1100 bucks, that's a big win, even if you don't win, you know? So uh, I went to my first high roller and I got off the plane. <laughs> I remember this so clearly. I get off the plane from Rochester. I've never been to Vegas. I've never been anywhere. And I have to run to the bowling center and bowl uh, two sweeper squads. And, you know, you had, back in the day, you had to pick your squads because they would sell out. And you, did, I had a excel spreadsheet with the schedule and it was a hot mess because there was so much to do you had vips you had sweepers you had the main event you had the side events it was so much to do so i get to the bowl and i remember it was showboat and i was like big bowling centers were not impressive to me because i managed an 80 lane bowling center so the fact that showboat had 72 in a row was nice because we didn't have 80 in a row we had 40 split with base but it was um still you know it didn't it didn't, uh, what do you call it? It didn't intimidate me at all. Um, what intimidated me was the number of people there. You know, you got two or 3,000 players competing for a title, uh, competing to win this tournament. So I pulled my first two sweeper squads, and I remember I pulled 464 both times for two games. And that, and one time it was a pair of 232s. Good luck trying to do that again. Um, and then the next squad I pulled, and I had 464 again. And I thought, shoot, that's not very good. You know, like, I think you need like 520 to win. Well, little did I know that each one of those was worth like $1,500. And I was like, what? So I was super motivated early on. And um, I kept the high roller was my thing. I would go twice a year or, you know, the January and the July one. And I, I had to choose to be uh, an amateur for a reason because I wanted to still bowl for Team USA. That was my ultimate desire. Um and back in the day, you had to qualify. You had to ha find somebody that was holding a local qualifier, and then for your city, your state, or your town, and then you had to win that, and then go on to the state level, and you had to win that in order to go to the nationals. And they used to have two people from each state. So Vermont had two people, Maine had two people, and so did California and Texas, which was I thought kind of not fair, being from Western New York. You know, the high series ever bowled in the state of Vermont was like 742 back in the day. And you're like, that's the highest anybody in the state's ever bowled. Now, it's not that way anymore. But you can see how I, I just, there's Adam Barda, too much hotness for one screen. Oh, baby, wait till you come on the show. Well, you've been on many times. Um, 
So I chose to be an amateur because I wanted to be on Team USA. And I did go to Team USA trials a couple of times. And the first time I went, I made it through the state. Um, and I went to the finals. And I think I finished 16th or 17th. This was back when you did uh, 24 games of qualifying and then 16 games of match play. So um, I made the match play part and I finished like 16th, I think, which was pretty respectable for uh, somebody of my nature. I had never been coached. I didn't go to college. You know, everything I've learned has been on my own. And that that right there was a was a, an eye opening experience to me. I didn't realize the politics involved in bowling. I was too naive. I didn't understand that there were politics. If they told me, if the, the tournament said, we're looking for people who display these qualities, I thought, well, if I can just show them all those qualities, they're going to pick me. Not so much. Um, but I learned and I grew from it. So um, fast forward to today, I, I was competing in PBA regionals when I moved to Texas for lack of competition. There's nothing else down here to bowl at the time. So I would just bowl the regionals. And once you win one, you have to be a member to bowl again. So I won my first one. And guess who I beat? Maria Rodriguez at Astro. Yes. Um, and it just came down to chucking the ball at the head pin for the fill ball. Trust me, because it could have been either one of us. But since then, Maria and I have been such good friends. I love Maria to death. I love Nathan Bohr. As a matter of fact, I'm bowling doubles with Maria in a couple weeks in, in Shreveport at the SASMA tournament. So um, I had to become a member to bowl again. And then I was 50 years old. So I said, why don't I just be a member and try to do some of the PBA 50 stuff? But uh, work does hold me back. I do get to travel. I don't have the flexibility to be gone for maybe a two or three week swing to go to Florida. And there's nothing in Texas. Like all of the senior stuff is Florida, 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 something north of Florida, something north of Florida, Ohio, 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 Indiana, Indiana, maybe New York, maybe New Jersey, and uh, Vegas. And that's it. It's all that. So hi, <laughs> second largest state in the country. <laughs> Lots of bowlers don't come to Texas. Um, it is what it is. We just started to get PBA 50 regionals here the last couple of years. We won't talk about me going and bowling 124 in my first game on the Dell Ballad pattern. I'm still giving Dell side eye for that because if he designed that pattern, I'm just not happy about it. But, um, you know, I enjoy competition and I really, really feel like if I were to be able to devote myself to the PBA 50 tour, I think I could have some success one day before now, I turn 60. Now, when you look at the, uh, you know, the full spectrum of the PBA 50 tour schedule, is, is there, you, you mentioned nothing really locally for you in Texas, but uh, do you tend to hit some of the bigger events or try to make a few of the majors here and there? I, I went to the Masters for the first time two years ago because COVID screwed it up this year. But my first one was when I was 52. Um, I finally put the money aside and said, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to do this. Of course, Vegas is another issue. You can't be there for two weeks we have a gambling problem it's not nice um so i went and then and i was excited because it's at sam's town and that's where i won the a game and i remember bowling the high roller there and i remember loving to bowl there because the pins would like fly you know i was like oh I, i've been plumbable good there so i went I, my first experience at the masters i get there the day ahead they have that sweeper on monday morning you know to, i'm like perfect i'm gonna warm up before the practice session bowl the sweeper well, my first ball was a smash nine pin and I laughed. I go, well, that's appropriate. And then the next ball, I left a blower 710 and I laughed again. And my third ball, this is practice. My third ball of practice was a stone eight pin. And I just was like, this is, this is terrible. And my fourth ball, 
was a Greek church. And I was like, okay, if I'm done. I'm done. This is not how it's going to play out. And sure enough, like I forgot how the pins fly there and they do, they are crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it was interesting. I probably bowled really good and only scored. Okay. I didn't make the cut, you know? So uh, it is, it's one of those things you can feel like you're throwing it great. You can feel like you're hitting the pocket. If you got the wrong ball in your hand, if you got the just the wrong tilt or the wrong speed, you're not going to win. You just aren't going to win. Likewise, you can throw it like a turd, but have the right speed and ball roll, and you get away with a lot of stuff, you know? Um, but that's bowling. So recognizing that, I think, is important. And I don't recognize things quite quickly as people do when they bowl, like transition. And, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of bowler because I wasn't taught – uh, on a professional level by professional goal level coaches, I learn it all on my own. So bowling with Mike Rose for all these years, because he was my best friend for sure. I'm um, still a dear friend of mine. We've grown apart because he has another life in another state, you know, but um, he taught me so much about movement and it used to just fry me that he would be bowling league and he goes, Oh, it's the seventh frame. I'm going to move three left. And I was like, why you're on the front seven. And he would move three left and strike at will. And the same things, you know, for nationals. When I bowl with them for nationals, he would do the same thing. So um, I've started to more recently accept that when I throw a shot and it doesn't strike, it might not be me. It might be the transition. It might be, you know, something else. Because forever I'd be like, oh, I must have threw it bad. Oh, I'm sure I grabbed it. I'm sure I did this. And most good bowlers would just believe I threw it decent, I'm going to move. And I'm just the opposite because they're taught to think that way. And I have to learn to think that way. <laughs> and you learn by failing a lot. Now, we do have a, a perfect segue now, once again, uh, to the Open Championships. Uh, we are This is inside the OC. So we oh, get, yeah, to, we oh, we yeah. get to break down your, your OC career. But you mentioned Mike Rose Jr. Uh, and some top other talent from your area. Um, you've got Doug Kent. You've got Mike Newman. Uh, Brad Angelo, Ken Moscato, so a good variety, size of the lane. Uh, and then around that time frame, uh, your career started in 1990 at the Open Championships. That was the year that Mike Newman had his breakout performance at the OC. Uh, but uh, eventually you'd end up on the lanes with those guys, some of those guys, uh, bowling with them uh, throughout the first half of your OC career. But take us back to 1990 uh, and heading to the OC in Reno, uh, for the very first time, awesome city. Uh, your tournament didn't start off so well, but uh, maybe you can tell us some of the thoughts going into it, some of the expectations, the preparation, who you were there with, uh, and then it got progressively better as that event went on. Uh, but tell us about that first year at the OC. Uh, the first year was um, interesting. I, I didn't plan to go. I worked for Marcel Fournier. He owned Olympic Bowl at the time where we had the tour stop for many, many years, the Greater Rochester Open or the Kodak Open, whatever it was called at that time. Um, but I, I used to work for him. And he had a two-team group that would go or four-team group that would go every year. And he said, I need a couple bowlers. I want you you to come to Reno and bowl uh, nationals. And I was like, yeah, I would love to do that. So Todd Polidori... Uh, my, my best friend at the time, bowling-wise, uh, said, let's do it, and we both doubles. I wish I could have found the picture of us on the stub lane with our shirts because we looked like such a goofball. Um, but uh, it was my first time there. Todd Polidori is this big Italian guy from Rochester, and Mingia, oh, my God, everything's a chore, and I don't eat anything but pizza and hot dogs and pasta. Hey, wait. 
Oh, exactly. No, yeah, yeah, you're catching on, aren't you? So, um, me and Tyler landed in Chicago to change planes to go. He'd never flown before. I've only flown like once before that, so it was like relatively new to me. And um, I had gone to to Vegas the one time, um, and so he comes back and he goes nine dollars for a hot dog. I'm not eating that. And I was like. It's the I want to meet this can... guy. I think me and Todd can be best friends. Yeah, absolutely. That's a... So we get to Vegas. We get off the plane. And you know the slots in the airport. Well, we were putting coins in and pulling levers. And we go to the hotel. And we got to find, you know, because we we're there to bowl. So we're trying to find places. And on the way, he goes, blackjack or uh, roulette this is i want to i was told to play roulette and so he takes out and he we'd gotten chips he put a hundred dollar bill on the table and they gave him four green chips and he doesn't know to ask for change and he just takes fifty dollars and he puts it on um on double zero and i was like you are the dumbest person in the world. I go, you won't spend $9 on a freaking hot dog, but you just put $50 on double zero. I'm bitching at him and the wheel's spinning. He goes, I know, but I got a feeling. And I was like, you got a feeling. That's called your stomach's empty. Tick, 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 double zero. I was like, are you kidding me? And so that's how my Vegas trip started. But bowling was not so nice. I don't really remember. It was, that was intimidating bowling in a, in a stadium like that with the high ceilings, I felt like I was taking like little tiny steps. Like I feel I was walking, but I wasn't going anywhere because the ceilings are so high and the lanes felt like they were 400 feet long. It was just odd. Well, I don't even know. Is, what I we, we, we do. We do. We have uh -oh. those numbers. It's perfect. Hold on, I'm gonna timing. Get, I hold 560 in team. And no. no, no. If you had a couple more frames, Ooh. maybe. But uh, 502. Oh, moly, moly. Oh, but I did good in doubles. Okay, yeah. So you you didn't let your guy down. Hopefully he bought you a nice dinner with all that uh, roulette money. Uh, that was sprung, fun. Sprung for the hot dogs and the toppings. That would have been something. Look at that. Oh, these are all my scores. But, oh, uh, so now looking at those first couple, you made it in 1991 uh, and then joined us again in 99. So uh, what, what happened? What happened in was, there? Oh, because I went with that group, right? So 91, 90 was with Marcel. I didn't go back with them the next year because um, it was in Toledo and they were driving or whatever. But I did put my own team together with uh, some uh, Plattsburgh people back in the day. Uh, I was, I'm was i from Plattsburgh and, you know, Rochester and Plattsburgh are like six hours, seven hours apart. So we put a team together and we drove to Toledo and we bowled. And that was a lot of fun. But, you know, we weren't competitive. As you can see, we just bowled average. Um, and then 99 was when it was in Syracuse. And again, I didn't bowl. And it wasn't my goal to go bowl that tournament for years. I just didn't know enough about it. But I went to be a sub. And so I walked in the door and brought my stuff and just subbed in, in the vent. Yeah. Reno in 04 was the first year I started with Mike Rose. Um, he asked me to be on his team. And it was me, him, Mark McLean, uh, Scott um, Terzo, and Kenny Moscato. And, you know, Kenny's pretty big. Uh, Mark McLean's got a, a good reputation writing the bowling paper and a fantastic bowler. And of course, Mike Rose is Mike Rose, like, hello. So um, that was my first year with them. I went 04, 05, 06, 07. And then in, in 08, 09, I think in 10, in 2000, no, in 2009, I started with the, um, with the gays and Jim Costello's group. 
Well, first, Sorry. tell us, tell us about the, uh, the the first part of that career um, with, again, you mentioned some top talent. Mike Rose won the All Events title in 2007. That was certainly something uh, pretty exciting happening there to, to be a part of. Um, those guys, top talents, uh, but you can sometimes put five great bowlers on a team together and it's just not going to happen, right? So, right. so maybe some great scores will happen because you're just that good, uh, but maybe the chemistry is not there. Uh, and, and the team play and the teamwork. And so uh, while the numbers might be good and the results might be some prize money, uh, maybe the experience isn't, isn't the best. Uh, and then of course, uh, tell us, tell us about that part of it. And then you decided to, to move on. You decided to choose another group and, and that group, the new group, uh, not that those guys aren't a ton of fun, but the new group is uh, phenomenally yeah. entertaining. But uh, first just tell us about uh, when you realized kind of the OC experience and when, I mean, you guys were contenders. You could have you could have been eagle winners at any point. Uh, but right. that's not what it's all about. Well, it, I mean, I wanted it to be about that. They wanted it to be about that. We all had the same intentions. We all wanted to win. That was for sure. I think what happened was um, because I moved away and I met Matthew and I moved to Dallas originally. Um, I uh, I said. I became I want to say estranged from the group, but when you don't when you're used to being bowling three, four nights a week with the same people and the same group in the same part of the country, bowling all the tournaments with, you know, against them and with them, you develop that camaraderie and you know each other very well. And especially when it comes to bowling, that's why we work so well together because I would trust any of them to tell me, Oh, you got, you need to do this now. You need to do that now. And I would do it. And I would feel like, um, because once again, I'm not the person to coach myself. They have to you know help me move. Um, but I would feel like, I trusted them. And we did that. We had great success. Like you said, I think we finished in the top 20 a couple of times uh, with that group, which, you know, for me being a nobody from nowhere to finish in the top 20 of the world championships, in my opinion, because we it's yes, it's USBCs, but we know that teams, the best teams from around the world come and bowl this. So I think if you can win this, this is just the pinnacle of team competition. And I felt like I was successful with them. Um, but at some point in time, the dynamic changed with us. And we used to always corp together. You know, all the everybody would say, how much money you got? How much money? We're all going to put in 700. We're all going to put in 1,000. I'm gonna, we're going to decide who's going to get in what brackets, and we'll split it up at the end. And that worked for like a couple of years. And then we had people on the team that felt like maybe they deserved more and they could uh, just go on their own. And I think if, when you look at the scores, I remember the year that it fried me because I shot 717 in team. And that is a gigantic score in any team event. I don't care how easy the lanes are. And I didn't double my money. I made 1.5 times my investment. The, my teammate... I won't say which one shot like seven twelve or something a few pins less and tripled his money. <laughs> I was so angry about that um, because now I'm fighting against my own teammates to try to make money. And now I don't feel that's like whatever, you know? So I decided, look, I'm not the right person for your group anymore. I just don't feel like I'm as a part of it as much. And I said, I'm going to let, I'm going to go and move on. Um, there's some, you know, a, a group of gay guys. I'd love to put a, I'd love to put an all gay team together. That was my ultimate goal because I knew there were so many talents out there, you know, from Dan Patterson, Scott Norton, um, Patrick Shipley. Uh, there's just so many really good, uh, talented bowlers who happen to be gay. And, I was discovering them and I was saying, Ooh, if I could get you to bowl with and you to bowl with and you to bowl with, and you know, we could have this amazing team and we would be Eagle contenders for sure. Um, 
But you you hit it right on the nose, Matt. Team chemistry is worth far more than talent. You, which is why you will see five man teams win the team events sometimes that aren't the top talent, but because they gel together, they work together, they they come together for some reason, it all works out. So I was seeking to have a more fun experience, take it down just a notch, and uh, have have be a little bit less serious. I don't know. I'm always serious when I'm bowling, but it can't be like so laser focused. You know, I wanted to go and have a good time and enjoy people. So we put a, I bowled the Jim Costello's group um, the first year and uh, I got onto a Dallas team and I brought a person with me, uh, Kirby Pitts. And then the next year um, we formed our own team and Dan Patterson uh, came on board with that and Robert Raymond um, and uh, Charlie Esteban. And uh, now we've got um, Tim Yeager as our fifth. So we have like a really solid, like we all feel we mesh together. And as you can tell, the last time we we actually finished in team. Yeah, there we are. Um, the Shady Unicorns. Oh, I want to show you this when you're done. Um, Charlie Esteban's the guy on the second from the left. So it's Robert Raymond on the left. He's my doubles partner. Charlie Esteban there. Charlie finished higher than me last year in all events, by the way. He pulled amazing. Tim Yeager's in the middle. Then me and Dan Patterson on the right, of course. Um, we have a great time bowling together. Um, I wish Dan would practice a little more before he comes because honestly, <laughs> not just uh, he's, he's a little bit lax on that, but that's okay. We The point is, Dan's such a competitor that he could not pick up a ball in months and then he goes to open championships and he'll struggle for a few games but then look out because once he finds it it's over you know he'll dial in um but we have the shady unicorns was the was the um the name i came up with and i created a character for it so these are our shirts from this year that we never got to wear and then shady unicorn her name is felicia and she lives on she is a registered not register, but she's my trademark. So um, High Five Gear made this for us, so it was very kind of them to do that. But Felicia is uh, a true, a true inspired, inspirer, in a thing who inspires. I don't know what you call that. Inspiration. So, right. so a few important things to point out from, from that part of the conversation. First, uh, you mentioned the IGBO, right? The International Gay Bowling Organization. Uh, such fun events. I had the yeah. pleasure of, of bowling with you and, and bowling in a few of them. Uh, it's more than just nine games of bowling, and that's what the Open Championships now has become for you guys too. Uh, it's it's a weekend. It's a whole thing. Uh, as much fun on the lanes as off the lanes, uh, and just a tight-knit group uh, and various groups from around the country even. And so uh, bring that to Jim Costello, who organizes uh, one of our largest squads at the Open Championships this coming year, 2021. They'll have 78 teams, uh, and he's always had 30 or 40. Uh, again, that's made up of Igbo bowlers, friends, family, supporters, friends. There's Igbo League. So uh, just imagine uh, really just a whole venue full of uh, the Shady Unicorns and, and all of their equivalents. It's, uh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, and Jim, so much hard work. It's awesome. Uh, he's part of our captain's club, which is very important. So if you have uh, five or more teams at the Open Championships, uh, some great benefits that come with that. We appreciate all the hard work. So, uh, you know, different items, shirts, sweatshirts, uh, pad folios, just different things uh, to say thank you uh, to those Captain's Club members and to have 78 teams uh, of uh, – Dude, maybe I, don't not always... I don't know how he does it. First of all, it's not 78 teams of normal people. You know this, right? Like, <laughs> it's not 78 teams of straight men who are like, oh, here's my money, bye. 
tell me when it's time to bowl. It's 78 teams. Well, there's a lot of straight people that bowl with us. We call them allies. You know, they're friends with us. They We drag them on board and say, come on. And they have such a great time. They're like, oh, this is a gay squad. It's, we don't care. We're having a good time. So, you know, that's why we have so many teams. We become a, a fun squad. But he manages 78 teams of mostly gay people. Holy Jesus, Molly. That is a chore. That is a that is a chore right there. He has to deal with a lot of drama, a lot of drama. And to be able to organize all that, God bless him. I don't know how he's not dead already from that because I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't survive it. But he does fantastic. Him and his, his uh, partner, uh, Jason Ondek, stupid. They're just both great. Well, we appreciate uh, all their hard work and all the support. Mm -hmm. And then to, to put the teams together, as you said, it could be uh, it could be very dramatic, personalities clashing. You guys have been able to put together a great team. Uh, you mentioned Dan Patterson, a former Team USA member. So the caliber of players, there's there's all skill levels within this group, and, and you build the teams in a way uh, where you can be competitive and still enjoy the overall experience. Uh, you guys had a great 2019 event at the South Point Bowling Plaza, which we'll see again in 2021 and 2022. Um, and you, and you said it, some, some nice runs. We had, uh, we did a photo. You guys broke into the top 10 in team all events. We made a run at the team event. You both great in all events and doubles. Uh, that has to be pretty cool. Again, it's a more relaxed environment and, and you're having a great time, but you're also getting to bowl well. Uh, and now, as you said, it took some time to, to get it all to gel, but you are now contenders once again. And it's a totally different experience. I think now again, not only the second half of your life or your second half of your career, but your second half of your OC career too. Yeah, for sure. Um, what Jim does with that by, by attracting that level of player, you know, he does, I think our group is, is really special in the, in the sense that we welcome and open with open arms, any skill level, right? Like we have first year bowlers that come to open championships and bowl and they, they're not made to feel like you don't belong here. <laughs> get out. That's not what the goal of Igbo is. Unity Fellowship in, in Communication is their tagline. Um, communication, I don't know why it's there because they're not great with it, but Unity and Fellowship, they're amazing at, right? Like that's, you develop these lifelong friends. You, you understand compassion. You get to see different people. And what Jim does specifically is he pairs people with, if they don't have friends that are already bowling, maybe they just have their partner want to come. He pairs them with other people that they oftentimes become lifelong friends with. So Jim is an integral part of getting that 70 teams to, to not only get there but to make them so that they have a good time and they come back and that's a testament to what he does because we keep growing we're not shrinking you know so uh and, and this year or this coming year i should say 2021 igbo will be having their mid-year tournament in vegas right before we bowl our event so we're going to go a couple days early and we're going to bowl the mid-year and then we're going to bowl open championships so there'll be no excuse for me not to be like feeling good and throwing it good well, there'll be lots of excuses, but we'll see which one I pull out. <laughs> now, now, Jay, when you talk about the, the size of this group, it continues to grow, and Jim obviously does a great job building the teams. Uh, you know, we see how much fun everyone has on the lanes during competition. Uh, how much activity outside of the, you know, nine games on the lanes uh, does the group do as a whole? Uh, how much planning? How many events? Jay, you know, how much is be going careful. on? Be careful. Be careful. This is, this is a family show. 
it's so funny. Oh, there's all of that happening. No, none of that happens, please. They can do that at home. Um, well, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. So we always try to have a squad that goes to the 40 frame game because that's a really nice thing for especially newer bowlers to experience. They're not going to get to do that at their home, you know, bowl that wacky format. So we bring, you know, 100 bowlers to that oftentimes. Um, the, the side events, the BJ and the other uh, – What's the other one again? Oh, poor, I'm going to get shouted out by Rick Ramsey, um, bowling this month. Um, you know, we, we support those events too. And the thing is, because there's so many people, we all don't all go do the same thing. So there's a lot of times where like on my group and Robert Raymond's birthday was on our weekend that we bowled forever. So we had to go to dinner with Robert and celebrate his birthday. Otherwise he was going to bowl 520 on me in doubles and I was going to stab him and I wouldn't have a doubles partner the next year. So we have to keep everyone happy. There's a little bit of game that gets played. Oh, hi, Robert. You're watching love bowling with you, Jay nephew. Definitely my favorite doubles partner. Well, maybe not now. <laughs> maybe not now, but no, Robert is awesome. Robert needs to practice more. I'm going to tell him that now. And I don't want to hear excuses, Robert, but there is a tournament in Colleen this weekend and that's what half from your house okay um done with that uh and so i think that you know there's so much that happens there i know a lot of groups that come from around the country come together for that and this is one of the only times of the year they get to see those other people like from california or from michigan or from you know wherever so we we all plan to like go out sometimes sometimes we'll say oh we're going to play blackjack over at this place and then poor blackjack dealers whoo but we have a good time and they get tipped really well uh, you're 17 years into your OC career. You've you've seen it from different perspectives, um, and now you have the opportunity to to often bowl with, as you said, some new folks, some some less experienced folks. Uh, what is your favorite part uh, of the OC experience now, uh, or overall? And and kind of what advice do you have for these folks when they come in, looking toward you as a, a standout and a veteran? My favorite part about the OC experience is. Seeing new people, newer people and older people, I don't want to say only new bowlers, uh, just seeing people have success, whatever their definition of success is. For example, when a new bowler, like a, a bowler comes in that maybe averages 200 in league, right? That's a that's a decent bowler. But we know that 200 in league does not equal um does not equal OC 200. <laughs> we just know that it's oftentimes more challenging. So when when they're bowling near us and whatnot, and they we we help them. Like I'm coaching people. I'm like, maybe you could move to the right a little bit. Maybe you could slow it down. You might want to try this kind of ball. And when they get success from that, and they they high five you, and they bowl like a 220 game, you just feel like so happy for them. And then I want to punch them in the face because I only had two not 209, and they're going to beat me in brackets. But it's all worth it in the long run. You know that's. I want to see the sport continue to thrive. The sport needs to continue to thrive. And anytime you can impress upon another bowler um, how much of a good time they can have and how welcome they are at an event, um, I think it's worth it for us. And I, my, my purpose, I think, in later part of my life is to, to be that person that, that could be um, – that could help someone that could motivate someone or, uh, or, or help them to, you know, grow and be a little bit better. I think that's what we all, we all could use. Uh, you mentioned earlier that when you moved to Texas, the opportunities were, were pretty slim as far as uh, events to bowl in. Uh, but that certainly has changed over the last five or six years and uh, due in part to your efforts as well. Uh, you're out there trying to, to run events and attract bowlers and, and do some things uh, to move the game forward in that regard. Tell us about that and what you've been up to uh, 
uh, and how challenging that's been, especially here in 2020. Well, 2020 has been a good year for that. But when I first came to Texas, like you said, about 13 years ago, I was in Dallas, Fort Worth area. And while there were events that happened, they were all kind of one flavor. So you better have liked um, Spumoni. Uh, spumoni that would be the flavor i would choose it sometimes you eat spumoni and you're like oh it's pretty good but then you're like i'm not eating it anymore it's fine it's not like uh you there was a lot of variety a lot of time and i said that i tell this to everybody it seemed like every tournament was all 103 games the top three people five people seven people go to some stair step because they don't know what the word step ladder is in this part of the country apparently stair step um i'm like no no that's not the only way to have a tournament but and I'm, I'm obviously, you know, being sarcastic about some of this, but there wasn't a lot of variety. So, and they certainly weren't run in the same capacity that I was running the New York Eliminator with Mike Rose with. We had our own little format that we kind of morphed from going to all these mega buck events. We, we stole some stuff from the TAP, from the from the uh, true amateur tournament there, and from also uh, the Super Hoinky, and then just stuff that we liked along the way. We made it happen. Overseas, they started doing a Desperado squad. Nobody in the U.S. was doing a Desperado squad. We heard about that, and we we're like, well, that sounds like a good idea. So I would come to Texas. I live in Texas, and five years in, I'm like, this sucks. There's just these two tournaments to bowl, and they're all just wah-wah. You know, I mean, people would – Omar Arnett, for example, runs fantastic events. Uh, he could use a little help sometimes getting his scores faster and quicker, but he engages people. He runs really good events. So I, I appreciated what he did. And I also gave him some feedback that he probably didn't want to hear about what he might want to consider changing. And, you know, he has changed his events over the years, too. But I just decided, look, I'm going to stop bitching and I'm going to start doing, which I know that's um, I still bitch, but I'm doing also. Um, So I decided to create the Texas Eliminator and just kind of repeat what we've already done up north and show them a new flavor down here. So, yeah. Oh, there's Nathan. He won our event in uh, June. Yeah, that was Flag Day cast, June 14th. That's Brad Angelo's favorite day. He's the one who uh, declared it uh, flag day. Don't miss a 10 pin on June 14th. Um, so uh, we, we created the, I created the Texas Eliminator. Justin Wren is on the left in that picture. I pulled him on board and said, hey, you're going to run this tournament with me, and you're going to help promote it and whatnot. And so to date, we've had over 1,600 entries in a, two years. We're actually going into our third year this year. Um, and our average cut score. Oh, and so this the things that I, I – will say never on a house shot unless it's advertised as we're going to do a house shot tournament. And we just did one, by the way, which we thought we put out a house each shot and it wasn't all that easy, but whatever. Um, I'm going to have a four man mixed match play tournament on January 2nd. That will be on the armadillo two house armadillo one house shot. So y'all can take a breath now and realize that, you know, you're going to shoot three, still be 300 shot there. So I said, you know, what I'm attracted to is I want to be squad by squad cut. I don't want to bowl at 10 30, 11 in the morning and then have the guys at three o'clock run by me. I led my squad and 14 people beat me on the last squad. And I don't make the cut. How is that fair? It's not fair as a bowler. You want to just stab people when that happens. So I said, we're going to do squad by squad cuts, period. You know, if you made the cut right off when you're done bowling. If you didn't get in line bowl again, if not, go home. I don't care, but you'll know. You don't have to wait around and just hope you make it. Um, so I, we do squad by squad cuts. And then to take it another level, 
you know how topography plays in bowling centers. You know the problem with pairs. Some pairs, you can't shoot under 240, just the way it is. Some pairs, you can't shoot 140 sometimes. It's just they develop that way. So what happens when you're bowling an eliminator-style format? When I'm on 9 and 10, you're on 11 and 12, the high game on my pair is 192, and the low game on your pair is 247. Guess what? That's not fair because we're clearly not bowling on the same pattern or the same characteristics. So we make our tournaments such that you only bowl against people on your own pair in the finals and you control that by the draw. So there's a lot of things that we built into our events. Now, fast forward, 1600 entries, our average cut score, 632, 632. And you don't just get your money back, you double your money. So if you bowl two squads in my tournament, it's 70 and then 60 to re-enter, 130, we always pay at least 120, sometimes 130, sometimes 150. It just depends on how we can work that with the, with the entries. And then I offer safety nets for seniors and for women because those are two uh, chunks of the bowling population that have often been ignored. So I believe that if there are five women, for every factor of five, one of those people should be in the finals. So every five seniors, somebody's bowling for the title. Every five women, somebody's bowling for the title. More can bowl. They can make it all on their own. All five could have made it. It's fine. But if none of them make it, one's going to get pulled in. And that's how I do my events. So, um, and once again, they're getting pulled in and they're getting that low check if they bow out in the first round. So I, I, I want to reward more people than less. So if the first place guy, whether he gets a thousand dollars or thirteen hundred, he's not bitching. He's not going home saying, oh, I only won 1000 It should have been $1,300. That $300 goes a long way at the bottom. All those people that make the cut and get an extra $60, $70, well, hell yeah. So that's how I think about things. So we've been growing. We've been attracting a new audience, uh, a, a different audience than many of the other tournaments. We're, we're creating new scratch bowlers. We're showing them that there's a level that you can aspire to be at. And with this type of format, Remember, anybody can beat anybody in one game. Thank you, Mr. Edelman, uh, Norm himself. It's only one game matches. So we allow, the cream will always rise. The cream always makes money. But every now and then, the 2% milk gets a little love in two. And we got a comment in the chat here from Brian. Tournaments are a blast. Great snacks as well. <laughs> yeah, we do bring baked goods from time to time. Thank you, Brian. And, and, that's the thing. Like when I run an event, it is a business. Don't get me wrong. We've got to make sure the money's right and the things fly off on time, but we're always having a good time. I want to engage with people. I want people to come and feel like um, they didn't just come for a, a, a transaction. They came for an event. So I'm glad that people view it that way. Uh, Jay, oh, Jennifer. Thank you. Now it sounds like Matt has Matt and Brandy have about a month to get ready for this event. So Oh. I should just sign them up right now. But, uh, There's only four team spots left for that. I'm limited to 30 teams, and I only have four team spots left right now. And that's been two weeks since I started it. So I was like, wow, I didn't expect it to sell out so quick, but it's going to. But, Jay, so. I, I like that you mentioned that you're moving, you know, as uh, as your career has gone on. You know, you talked about wanting to motivate people, want to get people excited about the sport. And, our own Matt Canizaro is a man with a goal. Oh. Matt Canizaro. Is he eat as many cheeseburgers in every state as he can? Well, maybe. Okay. Multiple <laughs> but, goals. Uh, but uh, one of them is uh, in a few years when he moves out of his mid-lower 40s up into his near 50s uh, is to go 
back out, get a regional title, get a banner with Canizaro, all those N's and all those Z's on it. Oh my Lord, Pete's gonna kill you. <laughs> so I, I just, you know, over over the years, every few years, I just need you to keep pestering Matt just a little bit, kind of remind him that, hey, this has got to happen. We're gonna get this, it's gonna happen, just like RST, LNE on Wheel of Fortune. We're gonna get Matt that regional title. So we got, said, yeah. we got to work together to motivate him to get out on the I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all in. Make this I still have six years until I have to start practicing for the PBA 50 event. So well, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a couple of years to get ready for sure. Maybe drill a new ball or two, maybe. Maybe. Um, and, and yeah, maybe. And plug some um, weight holes and things, and I'll, I'll be ready for sure. But that's still a ways down the road. I can serve the sport much better from behind here than I can on the lanes. Maybe. You never know. You never know. But what I found when you when you turn – so you have – it's interesting because when I first came to, to Texas, I was uh, 42, 41, 42, somewhere around there, and I heard of SASBA, and I never heard of SASBA before. And I was like, oh, it's a senior thing, and I started to bowl some of the mixed doubles events with them. Um, the left side's been killing it. Andy Patterson's telling you the left side's been killing it on the regional. Really? When have they not been killing it, Andy? Lefties are, lefties are just talented. What can we say? Um, so, well, then, you know, look at him. But anyway, so I, I moved here and I didn't know about the senior stuff. And I'm like, holy crap, I can't wait till I'm 50. I'm going to pull all these events. It's going to be so much fun. And um, I bowled a couple of the mix, uh, the uh, member guest doubles with Rick um, Lawrence. I was like, wow, I want to say Steelsmith. That's not true. And we did, we finished second ones. We finished third ones. I could never win one. Um, but then in the first singles event that came along was right after I turned 50, I could bowl as a senior then. So at Del Mar Lanes on October, whatever, I go to bowl. I drilled two new balls that week um, because I had to. And um, I shot my highest four game total and my highest three game total ever. I had eight sixty eight moving pairs Ooh. and eleven fifth, eleven forty, eleven forty something. Crazy. Like I never thought I would shoot a big eight hundred. My highest one was eight twenty in the past and that was like a miracle. So uh of course I won that event. I averaged two fifty for the weekend and I won by a lot, they said. Um but that's that's been it. I hadn't won uh another event uh since then except for i just won a doubles with uh parker capra so i finally won a doubles one but what i was going to say is when you you have this vision of like i'm going to be competitive when i'm 50 i'm going to go out there and i'm going to start to win stuff and you forget you really forget that wait if i'm turning 50 all those bitches i've been bowling with all my life are turning 52 it's the same crowd i gotta beat again so it's not as easy sometimes as you think it might be well, the good news, my, my PBA membership is still valid at this time, so I'll wait by the phone. Uh, if you know something's coming up, the uh, the over-under 50, right? It's, the double's coming up in December. Uh, somebody wants to give a call, you never know. It's uh, out, I, I don't know. Do I want to wait until 2029 to bowl again? Probably not, but no, uh, we'll definitely see. You, you've inspired me today. Either that or I'm going to try to be on Wheel of Fortune, one or the other. Well, let's go bowl. Why don't you come bowl an eight ball tournament? Let's plan to bowl an eight ball tournament. We bowled last time. I have the trophy out there that we won the team with. They, they do give the best was, trophies at those events. It was me, you, Stephanie Johnson, and somebody else. Who else was the fifth? Chippa Key. Chippa oh, Key. Chip, yeah, Chippa Key. You're I had right. a photo. The photo, the team photo was here for the longest time. It's gone. I can't see it. I don't know where it is, but it's here somewhere. Great times, good memories. Looking awesome. forward to the next one for sure. Absolutely. And seeing you guys in Vegas as well. All, all yeah, 78 teams worth. 
Well, and plus, if you're in Vegas, you're going to be there for the Igbo uh, mid-year. So you're going to have to come over to that while we bowl because that'll be like, yeah. You better bring your dollars and your, well, your $20 bills for all the raffle tickets and all the shenanigans that goes on. All I mean, good shenanigans. We're not talk- that's not code for anything, people. Don't be reading into this. Because, <laughs> Matthew, uh, tell them what you asked me before we came online. I, I don't think I can do that. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know. Yes, we avoid right, that yeah. very Hundred percent. I'm. I promised Aaron Smith I was going to behave through the whole show. I feel like I've done a very good job. So we're getting ready to wrap it up here. Uh, okay. It's been fun. We've talked about uh, all the great things that you've done on the lanes, off the lanes, behind the scenes for the sport, uh, because of the sport. Uh, and uh, you know, we heard about Poopsie and Will Fort, like things that words that have never been said on Inside the OC and, and topics that have never been covered. Uh, totally looking forward to uh, to our next meeting and, and the group in Vegas. Uh, I was kind of wondering along the way here. If somebody said, "Jay, uh, here's uh, here's an opportunity for you. You can either bowl in this regional, and we'll take care of the prize money or the the entry fee, uh, or you can be in the studio audience at Wheel of Fortune, or you can have a five hundred dollars shopping spree at Kroger, so you can go and and cook on your next Facebook Live." Um, where's where's the biggest passion? Because you were really uh, fired up about Matt, all of those why things. Why you gotta do this, Matt? Why? Why are you making me pick like this? That's not fair. Not all those things happen at the exact same time. Why can't I cook in the morning and go bowl in the afternoon and then fly and go be sit in the audience? Like you can do all three in one day. Uh, maybe, but if maybe, you're gonna make me choose, maybe I'm before pick the but you're fifty four now. Regional. I know, but I'm going to pick the regional because it's it's money. Like, I'm going to go sit and watch people play Wheel of Fortune. No, I'll be shouting from the audience. They'll kick me out. I'll be angry. If I'm on Wheel of Fortune, that's a different animal. Well, well, we'll work on that. Aaron Smith, any final thoughts or questions for Jay before we call it a day? Jay, it's been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed the past uh, hour 20. So Wow. Sorry I went so long. Hey, no, that one's all right. That was a great 80 minutes here on Inside the OC. So, uh, you know, once again, we appreciate everything you do for the sport and uh, just continue to look forward to uh, to seeing what's next for you. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, number one. Uh, I was shocked when I you called me in, or messaged me and, and asked if I was interested. I was like, uh, are you sure? But thank you so much for this. This has really been um, rewarding for me to, to be able to relive some of these moments. And I just want to leave people with um, a... a Mm, something for them to think about and do. I would like everybody out there to just be positive from now till Monday morning. Monday morning, you can be bitchy and go back to negativity. But from today, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I want everybody to maintain positivity. Reach out to someone you haven't spoken to in a while and just say hello. That's all. Because you all reached out to me today. So hello to – I didn't even say hi to Steve Morley. He's probably like, oh, I got ignored. I'm sorry, Steve. And find Jay Nephew on social media because uh, I can't wait to see what's for dinner tonight or what happens on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, it is entertaining no matter what. Uh, and, of course, go and bowl Jay's events uh, if you happen to be in the Houston area. Uh, folks, wow, what a what a show. What, a, what an entertainer, Jay Nephew. Uh, we appreciate you being here today. Next week, more cool stuff coming up here on Bowl TV. Uh, Monday on the PWA podcast, it will be Lindsey Boomersign. Stop it in. Talk to you. Jason Thomas and Aaron Smith, uh, and then Wesley Lowe Jr. on Bowling Explained to talk about two-handed bowling. And then on Thursday, John Burkett, another top senior player uh, who was a former Major League Baseball player. So he's uh, he's seen the World Series of Baseball and the World Series of Bowling uh, all in his career. So looking forward to hearing what he's got for us as well. And then the, uh, the top seasons in PWBA history continues this Friday. 
Uh, and next Friday, we've got three left. So looking forward to seeing number three and then number two coming up next Friday. So check that out. All on Bowl TV. A lot of cool stuff. Uh, and already announced the 2021 Bowl TV schedule. 90 events coming your way uh, when the calendar turns. So, uh, yeah, Aaron, uh, it's going to be a good time. A lot of miles traveled coming up in 2021. Looking forward to it, folks. But thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Inside the OC. Uh, until next time. That's the news for now.